listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated. We're joined by Pete Sampson. It's Monday, December 12th. Notre Dame uh, wrapped up their third practice of the pre-bowl. Still haven't really gotten into South Carolina yet, according to the coaches, uh, but they will be moving forward once they get through final exams this week. We had an opportunity over the week on, weekend on Saturday to talk to Marcus Freeman, and then on Sunday was Tommy Reese, Al Golden, and Brian Mason. Uh, Tim O'Malley, uh, what stood out for you from those interviews this weekend? Yeah, the biggest you mean besides the uh, special teams improvement over the last five years, I would say that um, my biggest question is, and it's it's hard for Reese to answer it because he can't answer anything like this honestly. Is what is the challenge of not having Michael Mayer besides not having Michael Mayer's abilities? Because look, the reason the twelve package is great is Michael Mayer's a wide receiver and a tight end, and Mitchell Evans, as we talked about probably each over the last five or six months when you're trying to name Notre Dame's wide receivers, it doesn't matter who their other wide receiver is. If Mitch Levins is better than that other wide receiver, they're going to go to the 12 package. My question now is, can they go to the 12 package when you remove the actual point of the 12 package that has been there for the last three years? And I think it's tough. I, I Now you're a power running team, so you got to stay with it. But no disrespect to Holden Stays or anyone else you put in, you could, do, you could clone Mitch Levins it's not anywhere near the 12 package that used to be. So I do wonder how they will kind of uh, tweak the offense to accommodate the fact that the reason they run that package is gone. Yeah. I, I was interested in that as well. Cause I mean, Reese even talked about the way he sees defense is how do I exploit the mayor matchup? And now you, you got to see defenses in a completely different way. And it's, yeah. they, they don't have a, they don't have a strength in the passing game anymore. Um, they have some, good players who have done some good things at spots, but I don't think anyone would describe any of the remaining guys as a strength. I, you know, Reese said that one of Buckner's practices over the weekend was some of the best, or if not the best that he's had, um, which I think sort of tells you who's starting in the game. If he's healthy, um, you know, as much as Freeman sort of, Hey, we're competing so on and so forth. The way Reese talked about his two quarterbacks individual, I don't think left really any doubt about, if Buckner's healthy, he will be the guy to start against South Carolina. Yeah, the the strength remains the running game, but with uh, to to your guys' point, with without Michael Mayer, it 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 can somewhat mitigate that because you don't have that that go to guy and the um, third best blocker, right? Tim and Kevin Bauman, and the fourth best in Eli Raritan. So you now have <laughs> your second and your fifth. Yeah, I mean, who you choose to play? Sure, Sherwood is is. Oh, I'm sorry. Two. Yeah, Sherwood's yeah Sherwood. Mix, Sherwood would be right? there. Um, as well, uh, Marcus Freeman on Saturday, you know, of course he was asked about, um, the defensive end of the Viper position in particular without, without Isaiah Foskey in the game, he mentioned Batello and two Alamaka. So we know that whether two Alamaka remains at that position throughout his career remains to be seen, but, um, he's going to be playing some Viper this weekend and, um, you know, and talking Al Golden, he mentioned all the defensive ends, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, speaking of 12 package, that might, that will be something that South Carolina probably now has to shy away from uh, because they have a couple opt outs at, at that mm -hmm. position. So that helps Notre Dame defensively. What else, Tim? Uh, you mentioned, you mentioned Brian Mason. Um, you know, this is, a, and we've talked about it already, this is a tremendous matchup of special teams and as good as, as, as good as we, thought Notre Dame special teams were this year, mainly because of punt blocks. 
South Carolina is better. It's the it's best one in the country. It's rated the best one in the country. And it's probably the, the most interesting matchup uh, in this game, a matchup that we don't normally talk about. Right. It's it. Well, thankfully, Brian Mason brought a reason to talk about special teams matchups in big games. And, you know, I, I wanted to ask him, look, you're Isaiah Fossey's not playing Viper. He's also not playing special right. teams. He's pretty right. good at that, that role. And I think mm-hmm. not in the same way Michael Mayer makes everybody better around him. But I think after Isaiah Fosky blocked two punts and got close on another, Isaiah Fosky probably made guys around him better on that punt block team too. Guys are running free looking at Fosky. Um, yeah, it's a great matchup. Uh, I was it when he said that South Carolina has no, is number one in, in the uh, FEI index and Notre Dame is number five. They're actually tied for five with Alabama. I immediately thought, I bet you Notre Dame would be higher if their kickoff return team didn't have such yeah. a poor year. And I'm sure that's what it was. And he addressed it. He mentioned they have to have a better kickoff return team. The real killer for that kickoff return team, he brought it up, was they had a bad day against USC when you had to have a good day. Like that was the time you had to have a differentiator on special teams. And and of course, I thought USC did a great job of taking Notre Dame special teams out of the game by using their Heisman Trophy winner as a punter on fourth down. That was That was a great call. But it's a Fun matchup to watch and Foskey impacts special teams as well. Yeah. Now you add, I mean, in addition, you add no Bo Bauer. I know you didn't have him for the second half of the season, but he clearly was your best coverage guy. And I thought, you know, Brian Mason said he still feels good about it because the two leaders of that group now are Jack Kaiser and Prince Colley. Uh, And you talk about Tim, you talk about guys that benefited on, on punt block from, from Foskey being out there. Colley. Yeah. Collie being one of them, certainly. I, I think in in his own right, he's going to be very, very good. Uh, but but I think that we saw instances where you know they're paying attention to Foskey and they can't pay attention to Collie, and and Collie cleans up on that. Um, what else, guys? For me, I know you know Tommy. I, a couple of things I did want to mention. Uh, you know, some players that these guys mentioned um, that that Tommy Reese mentioned was asked about backup offensive lineman. He singled out Christophic. And Baker, as he said, Baker's a, a hungry football player. So not that those guys are going to play in this game, but I know people are always asking about, you know, some of the other guys. And and uh, and those were two that he mentioned. Um, also, El Golden supported Mickey, you know, uh, Jaden Mickey, and yep. obviously a really, really tough game against USC. He said, I'd recruit a player. I'd recruit Jaden Mickey every year. And I think we all feel like he's going to be a pretty good football player, but man, he was, uh, he was not in a good, good place uh, against USC. No, I thought, I mean, I, not to belabor that, but it just, it just seemed like an odd personnel use um, yeah. when you had Clarence Lewis sitting there. Um, you know, I thought that I, I was, I'm sure that we've talked about this, but Christophic plans to return for the fifth or sixth year at this point. Um, he's but fifth. he's, he's, fifth, you know, yeah. so, I mean, he'll have a chance to, if he, plays well in spring and certainly, you know, makes a good impression in these December practices. Like you'd have the inside track on a starting job next year. Um, I, you know, they didn't really, Al Golden didn't mention a ton of young guys, you know, Jalen Snead, I think he's sort of conditioned to mention now. Um, but you know, did, did note Tyson Ford by name, uh, which is not somebody that we talk about a whole lot. Um, Jason Anye also. Yeah. I mean, Jason Anye and Ford, I mean, both those guys are bigger bodies. Um, So, yeah, I would think that, you know, these December practices, I, I think that we sort of get sidetracked with like, oh, it means something for the bull. Really, for these guys, it's like a chance to show that you don't need to recruit somebody else in my position. You don't need to take somebody else on the transfer portal in my position. Like, 
I'm good enough to be the guy, even if it's a number two next year. So, you know, if, if you're on your Ford, like these practices probably mattered a whole lot because it's, you got a chance to prove something to the coaching staff that like you can be a reliable guy next season. I, I looked back uh, for the notebook yesterday um, to see guys that Brian Kelly mentioned caught his eye in December practices. It was usually well after the fact. So could have been hindsight is that this, it, it sounds good to say it, but he, through my notes, he mentioned CJ Procise emerging in 2012, Torrey Hunter Jr. emerging in 2013 and Tommy Tremble emerging in 2018. Oh so those are three really good names where we didn't know them then, you know, it, it wasn't a big deal yet. CJ Procise went from safety to wide receiver in that, in that off season yeah. or in that December cycle. And then Hunter was hurt obviously. But yeah, it's this, this is, that's a great point, Pete. You're actually partly auditioning now, not for your job this season, but for your future at the program, right? If Jason Anye, especially Anye, cause he's older, he's him I and he's going to what is junior year, right? If he has to show that he can stay on the, that he can contribute next year to the team in order to contribute to the team as a senior and a fifth year player. Cause he's certainly a guy that the best you'll ever get of Anye will be his fifth year in college. Yeah. That's I would developmental I, type. I would imagine Tyson Ford. I know he's a year behind, but I would think that they're kind of comparable at, at this stage. Oh, I'm sure it just yeah. he's not on the clock. Tyson right. Ford. Right, right, right. You're yeah. exactly right. I want to jump back to Saturday because um, the the good news: Tariq Bracy, Tobias Merriweather are, are both ready for this bowl game, and Notre Dame uh, absolutely needs them. But I want to jump into a couple other topics here in segment one before we we move forward. We have questions on transfer portal and second segment. So I'm going to cross that out from the list you guys have and jump into Dylan Edwards. I was not, I was out of town when I got the news of Dylan Edwards and I um, vocally expressed my disappointment in a group of people that did, fortunately <laughs> didn't know me. When or I no saw Dylan that, Edwards. Yeah. Nor Dylan. Edwards. Well, I didn't say why I was, they didn't know you. They it. didn't know Dylan Edwards, but I, <laughs> I, I reacted uh, very angrily in public when I saw the news of Dylan Edwards, which it's, Hey, it's all fair play. Nordame took him from Kansas state. Right. I was going to um, say, <laughs> yeah, no, I get, I get that part. I'm not, I'm not blaming the kid or anything. I was just really, I wanted to see, I know he's small and I know, you know, now that he's, he has verbally committed to Colorado and is obviously going to sign with them. Now we hear, oh, well, he's small and he may not. He, he is that. And I agree that that could be a limiting factor. But the guy is just absolutely lightning. I wanted to see what that that player looked like in a Notre Dame uniform. Well, I agree. I feel you. like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, uh, remember Trendon Holiday from LSU or Isaiah McKenzie from Georgia? Like, yeah. they're kind of gadgety type players, but that's a hell of a gadget. Um, yeah. And it would have been interesting to sort of see Notre Dame with one of those types of players, even if. We're just even if he's just a returner and a jet sweep player, um, those those can be big plays too. I was super excited to see him play, and as I put him under using nonplussed whenever somebody decommits now after Keon Keeley. I'm just I, I just know that everybody if you have seven running backs, you're not going to have three of them in a year. So no, now Dylan Edwards is gone. I really liked Edwards. Um, I would have ranked him high. Maybe I'll do, maybe I'll add him in my list, Tim, when I send you my list of my ranking of players, just to <laughs> rub some salt in the wounds where he would have ended up. But I'm telling you, man, it's there. You're going to lose it at some point. So that's that's the nature of the beast these days. And would hey, have been how about in 2025 anyway? How about that? Well, someone won't be. Someone won't be. You didn't. Well, more obviously, you know, Dil, yeah, obviously, it's, yeah, yeah it's and Dil, obviously, Dylan Edwards won't be around. How about that Mackey Award? Yeah, I have an issue with how the no, the media 
covered it. Like the lack of impartiality or ability to look at other players, I find annoying and offensive in modern society. <laughs> I shouldn't look, I shouldn't watch Twitter. I should I shouldn't read Twitter. I should not be on Twitter. I should get rid of Twitter. Jack has always told me I don't need to be on Twitter. I'm gonna get rid of Twitter. I, but so Michael Mayer, I believe, was by was easily the the Mackey Award winner this year. I also think Brock Bowers deserved the Mackey Award last year as a true freshman ahead of Mayer. Um and neither one of them was even a finalist. And I really believe the Mackey Award gave it to Brock Bowers as a two-year reward for what he did, which I don't know if that's better than Mayer or not, but Georgia being number one, Notre Dame being number 21, and Brock Bowers last year scoring 14 touchdowns for the national champions. <laughs> I think that impacted him winning it this year. I want to be clear. I really think Michael Mayer was the best tight end this year, without a doubt. They didn't. Without Michael Mayer, I don't know what the offense does. I guess we'll find out Oof. in 18 days. Um, but I just can't. People got to understand, like, there's other good players out there, man. It's not. Huh. Brock Bowers. I, maybe maybe Brock it was Bowers. a. Uh, no, what, I, I, you're saying maybe you... it was a calendar year award, not a yeah, season no, year I award. I think it was. Brock people, Bowers I don't played think some good January games. Watched. Actually, I saw, I think Stuart Mandel put this on Twitter, Pete. He said, I and I, I believe him, but I want to disagree in, in one way. He said, I believe I know all the dialed in college football voters, which makes me realize some of these awards are ballots by people that are casual. Oh, yeah. Reporters. That is 100% true because all right, I bet you Stuart Mandel believes Pete Sampson's a dialed in reporter. Pete, did you watch all of Utah's tie? Did you watch Dalton Kincaid? Did you watch all these guys play all year long where you could vote? Like when you get your ballot, wow. when I get my ballot, I'm like, what in the world? I don't know. I watch Notre Dame, their opponents. And Georgia and Alabama every week. So it That's, is true. Yeah. It's hard to vote. It's it's very hard to vote, but this is a dumb one, too. <laughs> uh, I mean, Mayer was on the Athletic, our All-American team. Mayer was first team because I argued for him to make it. And he made it. You know, he made he was first team AP All-American today. So Mayer will probably be a consensus first team All-American. I, I certainly at this point, I don't know if he'll be unanimous, but I... <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess I'm sort of fine with them splitting that. You know, somebody had to win the Mackey Award, but like they're sort of splitting all the first team All American honors, which I'm fine with. Um, I would, I would, I think Mayer is better because he's a better blocker. I think people yeah. maybe overstate his blocking. Like it's good, but we're not, it's not like Quentin Nelson as a tight end. Um, and I don't know if it's fair to give Mayer a bonus point because he was on a worse offense yeah i don't think you, you know what i mean yeah, yeah i think no i, I do but i, do I think that. i think it's not fair that bowers gets bonus points for being on the number i'll one tell you how about more egregious bowers over mayor or ed oliver over quentin nelson oh, ed oliver <laughs> over quentin nelson okay <laughs> thank you yeah, yeah, yeah i yeah. yeah i would agree i would agree, I would agree with just about everything you said especially to about about Bowers last year and you know it bleeds I mean, into your just, psyche yeah, that he's just active. just vote for who deserves it don't look right. I mean if you're gonna if you're gonna make it a great you know what class are in or you just you can't do that uh Pete I agree with you about Mayor's blocking I mean he's a good blocker he's not a great blocker uh but he's better than Brock Bowers because yes. that's not what that's not that's they not who Brock Bowers block, I don't think that's not who Brock Bowers is but you know I don't get worked up too worked up about these awards uh I get more worked up about the release of watch lists in, in August <laughs> yeah. because you want to talk about something completely meaningless that that is it. But 
All right, hey, most I egregious, was... more egregious, Ed Oliver over Quentin Nelson, or Will Fuller not being a semifinalist when he led the nation in touchdowns. <laughs> Still, <laughs> that was incredible. Yeah, there have been there have been a lot worse award snubs than this one. Well, because Bowers, is yeah, so because good. Bowers, because is Bowers great, is really is good. Player. They're both um, great players. Let's let's but, be real here, but. But Fuller is a not semifinalist or Quentin Nelson, who like redefined what we could what guard play was in college football. Yeah, like, I had to stop God. what I was doing when Quentin Nelson didn't win. When I heard Mayer didn't win, I was like, oh, come on. That's but that's where it came from. Like Quentin yeah. Nelson was just what do they make something? Did they make up something new for the award when he didn't win. That just was totally. I think, again, that was Ed Oliver's sophomore year was incredible. And so everybody knew who he was. Right. Yes, exactly. And he yes. won the award. Like, a year did, man. Yeah. And speaking of Twitter, Tim, uh, one of my New Year's resolutions is to get rid of all as many as I can of the ones that put me in a bad mood by yeah. 6 a.m. every morning when right. I'm up. Right. I'm with so, you. It's, I'm just going to follow other like other sports I can follow since I don't watch the NBA enough. I'll have an NBA follow and I'll be like, I'll be my guy. I'll have a go to guy. There you the go. NBA. It'll be great. There you go. All right. We're going to last thing in this segment. It's a long segment. Uh, Nordic basketball. Speaking uh, of getting worked up, see, Notre basketball. I mean, huge. Uh, by the way, great for me as somebody that grew up in that gym to have an opportunity to interact with with John Shoemate yesterday and him being placed in the Ring of Honor. I believe he's the first Ring of Honor inclusion on the day that Notre lost. Is that he accurate? Is. I think he that's is. true. Yep. Yes. Um, anyway, really neat guy and a really a true Notre man and a, and a and a quality human being and Christian, but. Uh, then they played the basketball game and um, they were all absolutely as awful as you can be 50 points in the paint kept turning to Tom Noy from the South Bend Tribune saying, I got my lead. If it gets to 50, if it gets to 50 of their, of their non free throw points, 50 of the 70 points came from the paint. Um and they are they are a poor Marquette is a poor sh- three point shooting team, but Notre Dame didn't use a whole lot of zone. They let, you know. And I ask a question after the game about can you use different personnel in terms of bulk underneath a Dom Campbell, but the guards were penetrating as well, so they weren't doing any. I mean, they couldn't keep them off the backboards. They weren't doing anything well defensively. And it's like 11, 12 days after playing really well defensively against Michigan state that may have been a little bit compromised. I get that, but this is a really bad basketball team right now. I realize that they just beat Michigan state less than two weeks ago, uh, but the loss to, to Syracuse at home shouldn't have happened. And Marquette was clearly superior to anything Nordane could do yesterday. I think you can't lose to Syracuse at home and they found a way. And if you told me, yeah, Marquette came in after Nordane beat Syracuse and they beat the Irish. 78, 75, Notre Dame couldn't stop them inside and 50 of their points came inside. Like, yeah, that makes sense. I can see that. But to, to just get blitzed in the second half, they're down 20 at one point. I mean, come on, what are you doing? That's, that's really bad. And they, you know, Tim, they're going to recover somewhere along the way and win some games and go on a winning streak and win yeah, whatever. Because Bray, Bray will games. find a way to figure something out during a stretch but they are so flawed compared to la- like last year. They got so much That's better it. as the season went on. They are so flawed. And Jim Beheim said it. I mean, you rarely hear. I, I actually, if you're a big Notre Dame basketball fan, I, I will post it. I encourage you to go to Irish Illustrated message board and read Jim Beheim's transcript. He basically just breaks down Notre Dame and says, look, somebody tried to compliment him for driving the team 
Syracuse was driving and scoring, calling him patient, not chucking threes. He's like, we're not patient. We just can't shoot. So we drive and they don't have anybody to stop you. It's not patience. It's thinking, which is one of the funnier lines I've heard a coach say in a long time. <laughs> he said last year, they had a guy to stop you. He meant Atkinson. His presence as a, as a living, breathing center in college basketball stops you from doing some things. They don't, and they're not going to have one. It, uh, it's been alarming to watch their games against Lipscomb and BU sort of like when you know what happens later against Marquette, um, because it just, like you said, even when they won, they haven't played well with the exception with one very big exception for the most part, all their wins have been underachieving grinds and, I just I don't know how you can keep living that way and ex- like expect to make the NCAA tournament. I mean, this this was supposed to be a team that could make a run, uh, and now just making it I think will be a challenge. It's the equivalent of the team that has some good pieces in football, but absolutely cannot stop anybody from running up the middle the entire game. Yeah, what, yeah, does, that, and what you know, does that do to you? I mean, some of the games that you mentioned, Pete. I mean, you know, Mike Bray will say after the game, well, you know, there was game pressure, and we handled it. Which, yeah, in and of itself, that's a good thing. But the game pressure is being created by your deficiencies. Right. Um, you blow a 10-point lead. Yeah. Like, that's a Marcus Freeman after the Navy game. being like, hey, we've learned how to win a close game. So, well, no, yeah, no, no, that no, doesn't. No, no. Yeah, I, did, I think we all kind of we all kind of thought about basketball when he made that. Yeah. That that statement. Which, but, to his credit, I think he was like, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Probably. Yeah, I think he, back, <laughs> sure. I think he yeah, backed away from that pretty quickly. Case. We've got a question, second segment on basketball. We'll address it near the end uh, we'll be back for segment two burning up the boards this is mike brown former notre dame leprechaun here to share the leprechaun's game day at notre dame an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football saturday at notre dame follow me on an adventure from step off under the golden dome to nd stadium with this perfect gift for fighting irish fans Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Segment two of Burning Up the Boards. We have a quick question first, and it's directed to Pete Sampson from Andrew Wiest. Was Pete Sampson ahead of his times, ahead of the times, with his praise of Brock Purdy led Iowa State? Pete, it was a big day for Brock Purdy. Oh, it was. Uh, that was the Brock Purdy I expect to see in the Camping World Bowl, and I, I would, I expect to be congratulated on Twitter only to find someone dig up a tweet where I said, "Football people thought Brock Purdy was better than Ian Book," which I tweeted during the Camping World Bowl, and just how Ian Book actually was better than Brock Purdy. But now they both started NFL games, so more power to both of those. You were onto something, no matter what. There, that's pretty good. Yeah. Of Reason course, you get to watch the Brock Purdy for, show at all yesterday. For those that don't know, Brock Purdy. Go ahead, Tim, fill in details. Yeah, since you have he led a, the Niners to a 35-7 win over the Tom Brady-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And what was my quote, Tim, as we wait, waited to have uh, interviews of, with Al Golden, Mason, and Reese about that game? They are going to make Tom Brady look 46. They yeah, no doubt. I Man, I felt the exact same way about that game, and I don't I don't follow the NFL till Nordic's regular season's over. I mean, we really don't get a chance to do that, but yeah. Uh, Brock Purdy. So we had a Brock Purdy sighting. Uh, <laughs> Good job, Pete. Congratulations. Yes. Second question from Dallas Irish 83. Does Drew Pine's unexpected early announcement of his intent to transfer actually benefit the big picture development of the quarterback room by allowing Buckner and Angeli to get much needed practice reps and more in-game experience? 
Well, it's certainly the byproduct. That's the silver lining. Uh, I think it hurts the game because Pine with the Buckner package would be better, most likely, to beat South Carolina. Um, but yeah, it, if Drew Pine wasn't going to be there, this gets Buckner a lot more snaps. It gets it gives you a chance to look at Angeli before you're bringing in your grad transfer. But yeah, he was. We're going to get into at some point when it when it fits. When I asked Tommy Reese about how you can have more than two varsity quarterbacks, because I thought it was really good to get an answer for him on that one. But this is the byproduct: is you get to see plenty of Steve Angeli if you're the coaching staff. Yeah, I guess there's. I wouldn't say it benefits the big picture. Big picture, but I agree with what you're saying, Tim. It's like it it is a silver lining, so you might as well accept it as such and try to take advantage of it. Yeah, certainly short term. Uh, you know, I mean, I know everybody's excited to see like either one of them as opposed to Drew Pine, but as it relates to to beating South Carolina, I mean, you only have four quarters to do it. And um, regardless who's in the game, it's going to be a guy that hasn't either hasn't played or hasn't played in a while. So I don't know how that helps you win the bowl game, but yeah, big picture, I, I guess. I thought Tommy Reese, see Tommy Reese mentioned something yesterday that I wanted to bring up. And that is, and I know like, Oftentimes there's a clamoring to get that backup quarterback in the game for a few snaps. But I think if you ask a coordinator slash quarterbacks coach like Reese, and he mentioned this yesterday, that the opportunity that Steve Angeli has had to be with the varsity since the third game of the season has benefited him in the long run. We haven't seen it. Fans want to see him play in a game, but from a coaching standpoint, now, Angeli has certainly benefited from from being with the varsity and having to learn because otherwise he's with the with the prep team, right? And he's not really learning the offense. Yeah, might, we might as well because Tim, if you think it's fine, I'll throw it in here. I asked sure. Reese, please explain to me like I'm an idiot in layman's terms, uh, why you can't have three varsity quarter three quarterbacks on varsity during the season preparing for games, and he said it's hard because you only get so many reps. It's really just ones and twos. So to say you're going to throw the three out there makes it tougher. He probably gets more from being on the scout team and the speed of the game instead of taking only two or three reps. And he broke it down quick math. The ones, so say Drew Pine, takes five reps. And then the twos, the backup, takes three reps. If you do that for seven sets of practice, that's 21 total reps for your backup quarterback. You wouldn't give the third quarterback more than like six total reps so instead, he gets 40 versus the first team defense on the scout team. <laughs> so it probably develops you as a football player better. Clearly, it doesn't help you learn the offense any better. And then he made the point that, like, Tyler Buckner was up with the varsity last year because he had a certain package. Um, I cannot remember many guys up under Brian Kelly. I know Gunnar Keel was. He mentioned we kept Gunnar Keel with us at times this year. But it's a math thing, right? It's total snaps and you're it, standing it, there watching. It is. It is. And and what I would add to that is that instead of having Angeli stand around as the third quarterback, he at least is getting accustomed to the speed of the game on the opposite side of the football he's when he's Fosky working against and all the guys right, coming exactly. and everything like that. Exactly. So kind of behind the scenes, things happening in practice that we don't uh, we don't see and certainly we don't normally talk about question from kj rice which absent starter out for the gator bowl michael mayer drew pine or isaiah foskey will be the most difficult for notre dame to replace in this game uh it's mayor and by a, a wide wide margin which is saying something because the, there's a quarterback on the list um but when a guy has essentially more than half of your targets 
He is your entire passing game. He's your bailout player. When nothing's working, throw it up to the guy. He'll make something happen. I mean, that's, I mean, Reese, we said this in the first segment, Reese sees defenses as ways to manipulate for mayor. And now he has to sort of rethink how he sees defenses. So that's, to me, that's, that's a, that's by far the biggest one. Yeah, I think it's clear for reasons we talked about prior as well. You may have to change your offense a little. And I think Pine is a bigger one-game loss than Foskey because he's your starting quarterback. I really think the Pine-Buckner package would have been a nice thing to see uh, in the bowl game. For the, the whole point of trying to win that particular bowl game would have been would have been tough for South Carolina to defend if you had two packages going in the bowl game. Yeah. Uh, Reese mentioned it yesterday, like when you're formulating a game plan, or, or, I mean, just in general for the start of the season, various plays that you like. And he said, you know, I'd look at that and say that's a Mike play, as in a Mike Mayer play. You don't have that. <laughs> I mean, you just don't – you don't – who's who, – No, like you, he had Tobias Merriweather was on that post. He, he knew he wanted to get Tobias Merriweather in that spot, but that's one play. It's right. That's like right, we right. have a situation right. to run right. a deep post, and Tobias is our best deep post. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I would clearly say Mayer, and I, I, I would agree with you, Tim. I would say Pine second, not that – not that they're not going to miss Isaiah Foskey, uh, but I think we have a question. I'll get into that position and we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. Next question from Mac cap G. Is there any way the NCA and colleges establish some NIL and portal restrictions? Pete, are you hearing anything from your national contacts about, because. I mean, they, there already are portal restrictions. There's a portal window now. It's not just open all the time. So I think it's, it's open a 45 for about day four, window, 45 days yeah. and then opens in May again. So there are already restrictions on that. Um, NIL is not, it's just not the NCAA's jurisdiction. It should be, but it's not. They're choosing not to uh, basically enforce the rules that are already in the books there. So with the uh, Supreme Court and the legislation, the lawsuits and all that stuff, the NCAA is, I think, very, very reluctant to try to step into capping anybody's compensation um, because right. they're like, wait a minute, all these players are playing for free. I realize they're on scholarship, but that's not how I think people outside of sports see it. Yeah, Jack Swarbrick has said on a couple of occasions that he thinks the best way to get some some order to this whole process is to get congress involved yes and as soon as people hear that it's a, it's a roll of the eyes and, and and i get that i mean i understand why that would be the reaction but in terms of how do you get control of this uh that's probably the route and that doesn't appear to be happening anytime soon when i am going to try to get to um, get together with jack swarbrick i don't think it's going to happen in in december but as soon as possible upon the conclusion of the season, these are these and many other topics will be things that and, Irish Illustrated will discuss with him. Like as much as it hurts our enjoyment of the or it can hurt our enjoyment of the game, it doesn't hurt everybody's enjoyment of the game. Should you really cap what Michael Mayer can make from NIL? And should you really be able to tell them they can't pay Jaden Bellamy for showing up? Because they can, right? Your talent no. acquisition, it's the way it is. And, I mean and retention, right? Like and retention. I, yes. I don't I'm not you, saying it's it's great, but I'm not sure that it the toothpaste can go back on the tube and any of this. And like the the portal stuff is totally fine. Like I I don't understand why a college football player shouldn't be able to like transfer just like a regular student. I think like if, the, if uh, we're really into the student athlete thing, and, then and like play, own and it. play and play immediately. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. The key, no, the key, no I matter how question, many times you can go. I mean, well, it's not how many times is you can do it one time as an undergrad and then you can do it again as a graduate student. Which is um, yeah. But it's like college, you, you wouldn't go somewhere if you're a regular student and you transferred and you'd be able to do your major right away. Like, I, I, I just like. I don't get it. I, I think that's the the NIL stuff is sticky and needs some congressional oversight. I think the transfer portal stuff is just treating college football players like college students. And Tim, I think I'm I know what you're with. saying you're you're, you're I, no, I'm not. I'm not just, you, you want the coach to have ability to manage his roster, but the coach can leave anytime he wants to. It's no, just, I'm not. It's I'm reality. not. I'm not. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with what you're saying, but I mean, we have thousands of kids entering the portal. Yeah, and and a lot of them are going to be sitting there at the end of the process. And then what happens is that the group of five schools lose all these, all their best players, um, you know, to the, uh, to the power five, right. it's a, there's a trickle down effect that I look at more. I mean, it, I think it hurts the game. I don't know how in the world. I agree with you, but I don't know how you stop that. No, that I don't. And no, and yeah. I don't, I don't want to step on the rights of the of individuals and I get that, but it's, it's we're not, not great a, for the not, sport. Yeah, I mean, we're not. We don't are great for the sport, but like, I think this is. I mean, I have people saying like the opt outs are ruining college football, and I was like, "What the hell are you talking about? Like, you're not going to watch the Gator Bowl? Like, I know, I know the ratings for the playoff games; they're as high as ever. Like, it doesn't. People are still highly invested in this sport. Like, if you're watching the Clemson game, you're charging the field. I don't think anyone's thinking like, well, transfer portal and NIL is ruining the sport. Like it just, it's just different now. So it I think it's different. It's time to accept that and, and kind of roll with it. And Pete, I want to say what you and I kind of talked about behind the scenes, if you don't mind, when Drew Pine announced he was going to transfer, we were both like, well, that's really odd timing. And we both thought this is going to hurt his standing from Notre Dame fans in five to 10 years. Drew Pine left the team ahead of schedule. He has every right to do so. He's probably doing the right thing for his own 2023 and 2024 future. But you cannot tell me, all things being equal, he's allowed to do it. I don't begrudge him at all, that you wouldn't think Kyle Hamilton, Kyron Williams, Michael Mayer, or Isaiah Foskey would be higher on your fandom list if they said, you know what, I got to play in this bowl game and help my team win one more time. Whether it's the right decision or not, you would think it was cool if you're a fan of Notre Dame football. Yeah, there's no a one there's listening a, thinks that wouldn't be cool. Yeah, there's a cost associated with it. It's just not a monetary cost. Yeah, and we have a question addressing that and playing a bowl games here in a little bit too. But I do want to say this: no bowl game is meaningless as long as there's a point spread. And by the way, there are two bowl games on Friday. <laughs> Friday, there are two bowl games oh on Friday gosh. before a before what? a uh, a rash of them. I think six on Saturday. That'll be a playoff game in a couple of years. That Friday <laughs> game, right? Yeah, you Notre know, Dame's yeah. gonna love that during finals. The host is thing there. Host fight. Host playoff yeah, game just, during finals. They didn't think. Just about think that if one, we were they? covering Notre Dame Tulane on Friday night in South Bend. Holy smokes! And I'll remind everybody that Irish Illustrated had a twenty-three fourteen and one record against the spread in the bowl games. So check out our message wow. board on Friday nice. when we have I, our. By, by reminding you, have to announce that because I don't yeah, think people now, remember that. From last did speaking I tell of something you, did, you can monetize. Yeah, did I tell? <laughs> did I tell you what my record was in picking Notre Dame against the spread this year? That's for another conversation. Oof. Not <laughs> they good. Were a tough one this year. Yeah, it was a bad one. It was a bad one. A uh, question from Denver Maximus: How do you see Notre Dame lining up to start the bowl game on the defensive line? Who will be the Viper? How different will it look compared to next August? Man, these questions about next year are difficult. I, 
Yeah, next year I have no next no idea because um, <laughs> it all depends on Justin Adamiola and there's a trickle down from that. Yes. Yeah, I think and Adamiola, grad transfers and it, it's it's a it's way too early to be picking that. But anyway, I think Adamiola will start at Viper. He'll flip back to start at Viper in this game because it makes sense. And then you could play Batello and Tui Halamaka. Um, you could either start Nana or Riley Mills, whatever you want to do. But they didn't. They have everybody else. There's there's a lot of players there, and uh, I would like. I think there's. He was a really good Viper. He was just a backup to Isaiah Foskey. Yeah, it's like if Justin Edemola is back and Botello stays. Um, and I mean the bowl game, though. Justin Edemola will play Viper to start the bowl game. Yes. Um, yeah, that's the bowl game. Next year, if you had those five ends that you listed, and like you had one guy who maybe you'd take a guy from the portal, like I think that could be okay. I mean, I don't think the defensive line is going to be the strength next year that it really has been for the last five years straight, but. They could, they could fortify and have the position be pretty good at least. Uh, think, but yeah, yeah, lots, lots on Adam Malola. Could could Burnham be? You know, Burnham next year they'll be looking at them. Could Gobira? I mean, we saw how thin he was when we had an opportunity to interview him yeah. in August. Do we have It's like, you know, yeah, that, that's a, that that's a ready made. Yeah, that's a ready made body. But I, I, I don't for whatever this is worth. And talking to Al Golden yesterday. When he talked about the defensive ends in play, Tim, I don't think he mentioned Riley Mills. So I, so I, I nope. right. So I'm thinking that he's inside and that Nana does start at, at the big end position. And I agree with you that it's Justin Adam Alola um, at Viper with, with Patello and two Alamaki. Yeah, they'll play. You yeah. Gotta get in there. yeah. Next question is from DL Call 01. With the decommitment of Dylan Edwards, does Notre Dame use that scholarship for a transfer or another recruit? Seems late to pick up a difference maker unless they flip someone. I don't know how you do it recruiting wise, but but keep in mind that they just not that this is a, a even trade, but they just added Brandon Hillman, which was kind of unexpected a few maybe I don't know a while back anyway. So yeah, you lost one, but you gained one in the eleventh hour of recruiting. So my answer to the question would be that it's it probably it has to be a transfer. Um, yeah, but you I, don't know, but you don't need. I mean, the running back situation is pretty solid. Uh, Jadarian Price is a guy, if he's healthy, you are going to see him. You're going to see him next year. You would have seen – I got to believe you would have seen him this year because we know we all know how Dela McCullough felt about him before he tore his Achilles. Yeah, there's no I, – I think he's got – if he's healthy, he will challenge Estime and Diggs for – starting job well and certainly challenge Tyree for playing time oh yeah yeah there's no I, I think that uh Ty, Tyree yes. is he's fast, got to reinvent but himself pr- price is fast and like bulk sudden like sudden bulk up um like could be a home run hitter so yeah I don't I I think that there if I was Notre Dame I probably would not take another recruit in this class um I would spend all of whatever I have available. I would spend it in the transfer portal. And I'm not sure how much they're going to have to spend there because I mean, if they, they got to have a bunch of guys say, I I'm ready to, well, that's somewhere pro- else. Yeah. That's, that's probably going to happen after the bowl game. Yeah. Yeah. But it's got, I mean, it's got to be a bunch of yes. guys. There's a bunch Tim, of guys. Tim's, that got, are Tim's, keeping, the bowl game. Tim's got to count. Uh, there's them. a bunch of guys leaving after the bowl game at this they're staying. Hey, speaking of which, uh, Brandon Joseph playing the bowl game. That is positive news for Notre Dame fans, according to Marcus Freeman saying he didn't expect any more opt-outs, right? That's uh, yeah. 
I'm with you on that one. You're not, you can't uh, stay at Notre Dame if you don't play in the bowl game. That's for sure. Next question from ND Nation 06. What are your thoughts on the following position changes? All right, guys, I'll give them to you one by one. Maris Leofau to Viper. I mean, I, you know, that, I mean, long you just term, named three I guess Vipers, I could, right? You just named three Vipers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Look, we've talked about this uh, a bunch, and I get the question. I, I just don't know if that position actually fits him. I think, you know, uh, on the inside, a linebacker hasn't been a really great fit for him this year. Although, Tim, who had the most snaps on the defensive side of the ball? Maris Leofau, though, as we talked about yesterday, it would have been Bracey yeah. and Hart. Yeah, um, yeah, they yeah. Missed games. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But Leofau led the team, the defense in total snaps, which yeah. will pause uh, for you people got, breaking you, stuff. You've got to find a, a, an edge rush role for Leofau somehow, some in some capacity. I, I shouldn't even say edge rush. I mean, they, they blitz them all the time. I know Pass people rush. get... Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, people get tired of him like running into the the line. I know that was said a lot after the USC game, but um, that that uh, physicality at the line of scrimmage does definitely make a difference. Next what one do you guys, is what do, you, what, like, what do you think on that one, Pete? No, I, I don't see that unless it's like a almost like a yeah because, special package type of situation. Yeah. He's not going to be, he's not going to be big. I don't, you know, you can look at his weight and say, oh, he's the same weight as so. I, I just don't think that that is, that's necessarily the right position for him. And I think I've said, I think I've said, hinted that or said that early on. And I, you know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see about that. Next one is Ryan Barnes or more pointedly, I believe here, Clarence Lewis to safety. Can they afford Bar- to move Clarence Lewis to safety? No, but they can. And, I think Barnes would be worth a look unless one of these incoming guys, like let's say Peyton Bowen is at Notre Dame. Um, you know, is Brandon Hillman a safety? Um, I think Brandon Joseph is at Notre Dame. Yeah. I think it's something I would consider, but I, but I would not consider moving Clarence Lewis. No, I think they need him at corner as well. I think, Uh, yeah, I think it's too late in the game, but that was, and and I get the question and that was talked about at one point. I love Brandon Hillman. But there is going to be a massive learning curve, man, because that yeah. that guy is see ball, hit ball, run, you know, run across the, the, as far as you have to across the field to make a play. And it's great to have those athletic skills. But we see now, and Al Golden talked about Xavier Watts the other day and how far he's come. But it's 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 taken time. It's taking time. Yeah, it is. He mentioned why it takes so long too, without totally saying without saying I'm going to define this. I he said I went over to Xavier Watts today and congratulated him on being more like thanking him for being more vocal. You can't have a safety that's not vocal. If your safety is just vocal, we can fix the mistake he makes. If he's not, we cannot make the fix the mistake he makes. I thought there that was is a no really interesting thing. comment. You have to be a natural freshman safety that is Kyle Hamilton-like in your mind to come start at Notre Dame at safety now. That is not – I mean, Peyton Bowen could do it, but Brandon Hillman cannot come in and start at safety for Notre Dame. They need Peyton Bowen to do it. Yeah. Chris Tyree to the slot. Yes. I Give it a shot. Uh, if yeah, if he, I, he did write Jadari, if he stays. He wrote if he stays. Yeah, um, Jadarian Price is going to force his way onto the field. Uh, and and the last one was way out out, out yeah. left field here. Kevin, Kevin Bauman, <laughs> a strong side defensive end. 
He's thinking outside the box here. I, was, I mean, if they if he had said Kevin Bowen a place kicker, I would have been as equally surprised by this. Like, I don't. Well, I he, was, Kevin, he was a Kevin good one in high school. school. Yeah, I mean, I like Kevin Bauman as a tight end when he's healthy. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy, so I don't. I don't know why defensive end would make more sense. Chase Claypool to Viper. That's what was a big thing back in the day, too, right? Oh my God, yeah, because of his special teams. I think it might be a little too late in the game for Bauman to to do that. I mean, you know, he's had he's missed so much on field practice time at tight end, uh, let alone defensive end. Question Golden, from Gold, Golden, Golden Blue Forty Four, a new subscriber to Irish Illustrated. Why do players sit out the bowl game when most have insurance policies in place? to protect themselves against lost money if they were to get injured. Is there something that I am missing besides the potential lost wages that in theory are covered in the insurance policy? They're not covered. They're partially covered. So it's like, I think these are, there's a misconception that like Jalen Smith was made whole because he had an insurance policy. He still lost probably tens of millions of dollars in years on his NFL career. So I think the insurance policies will help you a little bit, but that's, that does not, that doesn't take away the risk. Also like getting hurt sucks. So I mean, there's that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Part, that part too. The money's number one, but getting hurt before you go to the NFL draft combine and ruining your combine or before you go to mini camp for all the, that that's number two. I mean, that puts almost everyone, not Michael Mayer puts everybody else behind yeah. the eight ball. Kepper right? Lewis Moore towards ACL national yeah. championship game. I'm sure he doesn't regret playing in the game, but like, he, that kind of screwed him. He might have regretted it if it was the pinstripe bowl the next year, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's as as you guys, you mentioned Jalen Smith. I mean, insurance policy doesn't cover it completely, but it's career altering. Uh, you know, right. I mean, at that stage of an, a, a great athlete's career, yeah, okay, I got hurt, great, I got a check to cash, but it's the checks you cash in the future are going to be. Yeah more limited because of that so yeah it's nice to have that safeguard also been, try playing football if you're not 100 percent into it if you're kyron williams or, or kyle hamilton like if you're worried about getting hurt and you're playing like kyle hamilton plays you're playing like kyron williams that approaches yeah. that it's you know and we see i mean point. kyron williams is playing a pretty prominent role now here in the second half of the season and so you look at that and say well you know he had a plan and it's, it's after he recovered out. from injury right yes, yes. But he got paid when he was being injured. Yeah. So <laughs> it matters injured a little bit. still sucks, but it's better to be being paid. Right. Next from Annie Davis. Who will be the leaders for the bowl game? Who will be the leaders heading into the offseason? I think there are three obvious leaders for the bowl game. And that's, of course, Jarrett Patterson, a two-time captain with multiple injuries who is choosing to play in, in the game. And we bowl. think it's cool, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> i'm telling you yeah i mean i you know i have i not judging anyone it's just no cooler. not judging anyone but great respect for jared patterson yeah absolutely i mean i think i think the fact he's a two-time captain is a strong influence on his decision to play in this game and then bertrand and kaiser i mean those are already your leaders i think those are probably you know lug in his in in his uh exuberant enthusiastic way is uh it would be a leader for this game as well yeah, I, I don't think that they're short on voices or leadership. Like, Mayer was, like, an alpha type of personality. Like, but Foskey was more of a reserve guy. Like, I don't, yeah. you know, I think he would speak up and, like, he was respected. But, um, you know, in terms of, like, the rah-rah, 
leadership style. I'm not sure that was really Isaiah Foskey's mode. And then in terms of moving into next year, Bertrand and Kaiser both expected back, or we expect them to both be back. They will be leaders of the 2023 team. And, you know, next year, Alton Fisher, Alt will be, right. have been a uh, 20-some game starter, um, you know, and Fisher has been in a prominent role for, for two years now. I think Prince Collie, if he can, I think Prince Collie might be a guy that could emerge in that role, although he's got the veteran linebackers ahead of him. I'm just looking for guys that. Cam Hart probably be pretty respected in that locker room. Played a lot. Um, if Joseph returns, Brandon Joseph would be respected in the locker room, I think. Yeah, Especially that would be a, just by nature of him returning would be. be I mean, look, Justin Adamolola would too. Um, I'm sorry. I wrote him down and I was going to say him first. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. he'd be high on my list for next year. I mean, I think that would. I get it. Yeah. You know what? We'll save the who are the captains question for March. How about that? <laughs> That's a good idea. Question from J Rock underscore 24-7 S. NFL free agent wide receivers tend to land with teams that have an answer at quarterback. Do you think having an unsettled quarterback situation will hurt when making a pitch to transfer wideouts? If the answer is yes, do you see the staff pushing hard for a guy that is in the portal now or waiting until all the dust has settled after the bowl game? It's a good question, but I am positive if your number one option is playing a bowl game, you should try to get that guy and not settle for someone to see if you might entice a wide receiver to come with your number three option. Quarterback's really important in terms of making the receivers good around them. Yeah. I I think that if you're Notre Dame and you're talking to Caleb Smith, for example, Caleb Smith, um, you're probably saying here are three quarterbacks we're in on. We're going to get one of them. And then Caleb Smith's probably like, Oh, all right. Those guys are pretty good. Um, or we think Buckner is like, just snake bit like, but we're going to have a quarterback competition. Like, I think that that will probably be enough. Um, I did trade a message with my colleague, Andy bitter, who covers Virginia tech asking him what the, what's up with Caleb Smith. Cause I can't say I really followed him that much. He said, I think he has a potential to be good, good size, faster than you think for a long strider. He's not too durable. Always nicked up with something. He had a torn labrum that ended one season, but he had 675 receiving yards and a Hokies offense this past year. That could be a desk best described at and i will leave out the word if you put him with a real qb he's got a chance to show out just to clarify that i'm, I'm sure not everybody knows i mean there's there's a visual evidence of of chancy stucky with caleb smith not caleb smith the incoming freshman that recently verbally committed in our name but caleb smith the established wide receiver at virginia tech as you mentioned pete um and that caleb smith is 6'2 222 uh, had 37 catches for 674 yards, as you mentioned. That is an 18.2 yard average. He had a long of 85. He had three touchdowns. He had like, I don't know, about 60 catches in the last two years. And I can distinctly remember watching Virginia Tech film uh, pre Notre Dame game last year and liking the larger and older version of Caleb Smith. One last fight. Um... I think Dave Clawson is an awesome evaluator of talent and Caleb Smith was a wake forest commitment before he flipped to Virginia tech. So that, that actually makes him, <laughs> makes me like him even more than the fact that he went to Virginia tech. The fact that Dave Clawson thought he was good. Next question from Jay Marasco last December, the men's basketball team lost to Boston college and things looked bleak, but Mike Bray was able to turn the season around and finish strong. Does this team have that potential? If not, what does the future look like for Bray? 
and Notre Dame continue to let him leave on his timetable? I don't think this team has that potential because they don't have Paul Atkinson Jr. who they could dump the ball down to and get 18 and 12 on, on, on a regular basis. And I mean, Blake Wesley's ability to change a game with his just flat out speed and athleticism. They don't have that. JJ Starling's a good player. He's going to continue to be a good player for Notre Dame here in his freshman year. But I don't think that this team now, again, you know, the ACC and I, I haven't had a chance to, you know, watch a whole bunch of ACC basketball yet. So what Notre Dame has in their favor and against them is in their favor is it's not probably not a great ACC again, so they can win some games like they did last year. They won 15 out of 20, but man, come NCAA tournament time, the NCAA is not getting a whole lot of respect as we saw Notre Dame finish second in the ACC and um, first four. Yeah. I mean, they had to, they had to, it was a play in game. Did I say NCAA before ACC? Um, you know, it's just, in football and basketball, the ACC is not a very good conference, man. That stinks. It's not good. I'll get that in as much as I can. <laughs> so do you think they can – do you guys think they can rebound from this? I think they'll be on the bubble, and they won't be as good of a team as they were last year when they are on the bubble. I believe I, – I think Notre Dame should have been more squarely in the tournament last year than they were, like by a level, I, whatever I, you want to you – know, I agree with range. that. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. I I, I thought that was – that was. This is a, a play – this is a play-in team. I thought last year's was a was a nine ten. Right, but yeah. but this, they're gonna have this to... year got to eight nine. It would I would be pretty. I would be very impressed if this year's team was an eight nine type of seed, which is not what the season outlook was supposed to be when it started. Hey, they were fifteen and five and beat Kentucky. If, I mean that that's an eight. Nine. I thought they got a bad seed last year, and they won a couple of games that made it more fun. They won a really fun game against Rutgers, and they put one on Alabama and made it pretty fun run, but. I still think they were probably a little better. I think last year's team was better and had a higher potential. Oh no, yeah, I, I, agree. I don't think there's. I, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, I don't know what what is the what's the potential of this team, even at its best, because right, so, they're, they're worse defensively. Wesley yeah. Wesley made such a difference defensively, even though he should have been on the bench and Troy, Trey Trey <laughs> should have been on the court when the season <laughs> ended. In that one year. in particular instance, I have one. All right, there's one unlike extremely unlikely scenario that makes Notre Dame better. If Van Allen Lubin and Dom Campbell play enough to look like Bonzi Colson, the freshman, who was a guy that scored six points a game, came in and got some rebounds, had some defensive length, added athleticism to a team. And of course, I'm talking about a team that had a bunch of pros on it that he was a reserve player for in 2015. But if you could somehow harness those guys to play so you don't have all guys jumping off two feet for their two-handed layups, I think you could help your team a little bit. Did we talk transfer quarterbacks have we said anything about that yeah we said we, we, I, we might not have recorded it when we did i don't know we said we should probably wait until repeating. after the uh i said if notre dame knows who they want and he's not yet in the portal then you wait for him to come that's what we had yes. we were talking about if you get a wide right. we had a whole question on it if we get a wide receiver or not i think I you thought wait. it was worth um it's worth remembering i think for everyone's sanity when jack cone committed to notre dame i was around the time of the national championship game that's like a month away from now. Yeah. I, you know, and I understand questions about timetable and that kind of stuff. Sure. But in our business, <laughs> trying to answer timetable questions, I've said this before is, and especially now, especially can't we, now. Can we just focus on the captains for next year? <laughs> <laughs> I 
the Viper depth chart. All right, we're wrapping up here. Last question from Irish Gambler. Blue or white jerseys for the Gator Bowl? You well, they're the road the, team. You know, they, yeah, they're the road yep. team, so white they'll be white. white jerseys. Names on the back. Yes. Will there be names on the back? I think so. They always are for the bowl games, right? Yeah. I, that I would be a so. weird Marcus Freeman change to make. It would be totally to, nonsensical to not too, have so a, he does yeah. not make it. Yeah, because he did coach a bowl game last year, but maybe he had other things on his mind. And you know what you should do, and this is going to cause a giant controversy because it's not tradition. It just started in 1986 when Lou Holtz had to completely overhaul a program. You could put names on the back of the jerseys now for NIL purposes for the regular mm-hmm. season. You could put their Instagram handles on instead of their names. How about that? QR that I would not like of numbers. I would, I would not, I would not. You could have, that. wasn't like so- soccer has their advertisements on the front of their jerseys. Yeah. And I mean, and the sport uh, somehow continues on like, I, I <laughs> like still pretty popular, but yeah, they have ads on the fronts of the jerseys. How about Morocco? How about it? It's pretty exciting. First African team ever to make the world cup. Incredible. Semis. Did not incredible think that run. was going to come up today. Yeah. Incredible run. Um, they're fun to watch yeah they are fun to uh, fun to watch all right we're gonna wrap up there we are going to okay next week can we promise this are we promising to let's go monday to well we're definitely going monday but uh, as we get close to the game we're going to try to squeeze in a couple there so we'll keep you posted on that i know that generally in the past we've had a little bit more of a schedule settled we have access on the 21st tim so maybe the 22nd is a possibility for us that's what we should do one on monday on the team and then we should do one on thursday on recruiting there we go oh yeah there we go yeah that's what we'll do thanks for figuring it out for me no problem all right good radio right now so yeah really good stuff yeah working it out on the air that's good stuff we'll be back on monday uh and that is december 19th We appreciate you joining us. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Here's another Irish tale from Do Dublin at doDublin.ie. Have you ever felt uneasy signing a lease for a house or a car? You'll know a little how Arthur Guinness felt when in 1759 he signed a 9,000-year lease for the St. James Gate Brewery in Dublin. He was a shrewd businessman, of course, because over 250 years later, the annual payment remains just £45. Want to find out more? Be sure you do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours.